I'm Eddie Joe, and this is the Saving Lives Podcast. See what I did there? Just switched it up on you. Now I really got your attention. Thanks everybody for listening to my podcast. I have a lot of fun making it. Today I'm going to be discussing the utilization of aspirin in patients with moderate COVID-19. The reason why I keep on going over all these data is number one, first at face value, this looks like a positive trial, although I'm going to spoiler alert say that it's not a positive trial at the end of the day. But in addition, you all know that I'm a fan of cheap, readily available medications that could potentially help our patients. And the article that I'm going to be discussing today was published in JAMA on March 24th of this year, 2022. And it is titled Association of Early Aspirin Use with In-Hospital Mortality in Patients with Moderate COVID-19. It's free for you to download. I recommend that you read it for yourself. And as always, please don't trust me. But when I went ahead and opened up this email in mid, mid-April of 2022, I saw this paper and I thought to myself, well, hasn't this, this issue been put to bed yet? Well, for the uninitiated, this appears to be, as I mentioned before, a positive study in favor of providing patients with COVID-19 with 81 milligrams of aspirin on the first day of hospitalization and continue it on for at least five days. This is where some experience at interpreting the nuance of studies comes into play. Just as a friendly reminder that the rationale behind giving patients with COVID-19 aspirin is to go ahead and reduce the cardiovascular as well as pulmonary events. We have all seen patients develop MIs, when I say MIs, I mean myocardial infarctions, as well as pulmonary emboli secondary to COVID-19. You know, these patients do have these thrombotic phenomenon, which some postulate that it could potentially be mitigated by aspirin, or, you know, many of us have hoped. I do commend the authors of the study for their work within the construct of the data because this is a cohort study where they took the patients from a database. Now, there are a lot of limitations that come from database studies, so please keep that in mind as this is not a prospective randomized placebo-controlled trial like many of us want it to be. Now, I understand these limitations and Everybody who's listening to this and who reads articles should be aware of the limitations that come from these types of these types of papers. Now, all these data come from U.S.-based hospitals. In this study, compared to others, they use patients with moderate disease. They kept the definition simple as patients with mild disease were asymptomatic or symptomatic but not requiring hospitalization. Moderate disease is where patients required hospitalization. Vastly severe disease where patients who either died, needed invasive mechanical ventilation, um, they're on vasopressors or inotropes, or on ECMO. So what they did is that, and this is important always when you read these studies, is especially the COVID studies, is to see when they collected the data. And here they collected the data from January of 2020 up to September of 2020. That's really important because that does not include Delta. It encompasses what we saw with the first two strains of the SARS-CoV-2 virus here in the States. Remember that Delta did not come to visit us until mid-2021. But I do feel that these conclusions should be applicable to subsequent variants, though. But this is my opinion. I'm not going to review all their statistical analysis as it is beyond the scope of a podcast intended to kind of keep you entertained at the same time keep you informed, but not meant to be a lullaby to put you to sleep while you're listening to it. But all in all, they went ahead and assessed almost 8 million patients and took almost 200,000 patients out of this database that were hospitalized. 
I always dedicate a few minutes when I'm actually reading journal articles to look at the baseline demographics, which is usually table one in different studies. In this case, it seems as if it's an appropriate median age with the patients being in their mid-60s. Most of them, as we expect from patients who end up in our hospitals with COVID, had underlying comorbidities. One interesting component, however, that really caught my eye is that the majority of patients were not started on dexamethasone on the first day. And again, this is where we have to remember and take into account the time period in which these data were collected. And it was from patients from January 2020 up to September 2020. We have to remember that dexamethasone didn't really come into play until the summer of 2020. So that's why we don't have as many patients as one would hope who received dexamethasone in the study. Thanks for bearing with the ads. It helps keep the lights on. But let's, let's go ahead and start diving into the outcomes of the study. First, the primary outcome was in-hospital mortality. Yes, if one just goes ahead and looks at the p-value, it's less than 0.01. And if you just focus on this p-value, then you would think that this is a positive study and aspirin needs to be put in the drinking water. Yes, it is statistically significant to benefit when it comes to in-hospital mortality as the patient mortality in those who took aspirin was 10.2% versus 11.8% in the patients who did not take aspirin. But there's more to this though. If you plug in those numbers into a number needed to treat calculator, you would see that you have to treat 62.5 patients with aspirin to potentially save one life. Overall, this is not a very efficacious therapy. We usually like to see a number needed to treat that's far lower than 63. Usually the single digits make us happy. But I know what you're thinking because I thought the same thing. If it's just a baby aspirin to 63 people in order to save a life, should we just go ahead and do it? Well, perhaps earlier in the pandemic, this might have been an appropriate thought pattern. But the data at this moment suggests that we should have patients who have moderate COVID-19 on full dose anticoagulation with either heparin or anoxaparin. So, you know, you, you this study does not include the fact that now the practice pattern is to have these patients on full-dose heparin or full-dose Slovenox. But continuing on, one would obviously be worried about bleeding complications by giving patients aspirin across the board. Here, they did not find a statistically significant difference in GI bleeds, cerebral hemorrhage, excuse me, blood transfusion, nor a composite of hemorrhagic complications. But again, if we were to start giving patients aspirin in addition to their full-dose anticoagulation, then we may be seeing more complications than what these data have provided. When it comes to the secondary outcome, they, won, they, they found that there was a benefit in the percentage of patients who developed a pulmonary embolism. Here, once again, this was statistically significant with a p-value of 0.004. But when you really look at these numbers and you take the incidence of pulmonary emboli in patients who are taking aspirin, you find this to be 1% versus patients who are not taking aspirin, the incidence of pulmonary emboli was 1.4%. Same thing we did with the primary outcome. Let's go ahead and plug these numbers into our number needed to treat calculator, which again, it makes you seem like you're really smart, but all you're doing is just putting it into a calculator. It means that you would have to treat 250 patients for the secondary outcome of decreasing the risk of pulmonary emboli. There was no difference in DVTs amongst patients who received aspirin and those who didn't. To wrap up this podcast on this particular study, I personally do not think that we should be placing aspirin in the drinking water, despite the primary outcome being a positive outcome and despite there being a risk of a decreased risk of pulmonary emboli being one of the secondary outcomes. 
the other prospective studies have not shown a benefit. We have to remember within the limitations of this database of, of these patients that these patients were not receiving the therapy that is now standard of care for this patient population to reduce the risk of all these prothrombotic, coagulopathic, other such events that you know, it's beyond the scope of all the hematology of this podcast. That therapy, of course, is full-dose anticoagulation. Perhaps aspirin could be provided to the patients who cannot tolerate full-dose anticoagulation, but that's just, that's not a recommendation. That's just trying to deduce some sort of benefit. But again, the number needed to treat seems to be in the high 60s. As always, I recommend that you read this article for yourself. It's down in the citations and do not trust me. It's free for you to, it's free for you to download in the show notes below. I would greatly appreciate it if you haven't done so already, if you leave me a good review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts as it shows these services that my podcast doesn't completely suck and it's worth recommending to other people. Greatly appreciate your support. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye.